Before we uh, dive into God's Word together, I want to invite you to pray with me specifically for that task. Let's pray. Father, together with uh, many, many pastors and many churches for centuries, we affirm that Scripture primarily teaches what we are to believe about you and what you require of us. God, that that is the whole point of opening your word right now. We don't want anything else, Father. And so anything that I say, I I want to surrender it to uh, your word. Not what we might want to get out of it, but what you actually say. And we also pray that you give us clarity on how we should respond and the power to respond to it. We need your grace to respond rightly to what we see here. So we ask for that help. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, this was supposed to be the beginning of a new series in the book of Proverbs. We're still going to do that, but I punted it a little bit. And one of the reasons why is because I thought uh, it would help us as a church to think about something very basic, and that is what does a Christian look like? Okay, what does a Christian look like? Um, how do I know I'm living into what Christ has called me to be? What is a Christian, and what are we supposed to do as Christians? Now, that can be a really, really long series. We could talk about that for a super long time, uh, but this is going to be a short series. We're going to talk about five attributes, and we'll get into that. This is an introductory message for it. But I want to help you understand why I think we need a series like this. Uh, many people come to church, uh, many will never don the door of a church, but some, some come. Now, out of the people that come to church, you've got people that come to church, but they never really cross over. They stay like in attendance mode to watch from the outside, but they never really become a believer. And you've got people that come to church and think they crossed over, tell you they crossed over, but they really didn't. Sometimes you find that out later. Sometimes you find that later in hurtful ways. And you've got people that they come to church, they tell you they cross over, they did cross over, everyone affirms they cross over, but they're discouraged. And sometimes they wonder, wait, did I cross over? Am I a Christian? Now this series can go a couple different ways. We can focus on the people who are out. You think you're in, but you're actually out. And I think you're, you're going to hear undertones of that because if that's you, it's not, you're out, you jerk, stop pretending. It's, hey, stop pretending and be in for real, right? We want you in, but it's a disservice to you if we let you feel like you're in, but you're really not in, and we just give you a pass because we love warm bodies in the seats. Don't want to do that, but the emphasis is going to be on encouraging you, brother, encouraging you, sister, to grow into Christ in the ways that Christ has made clear we should be growing into him. There should be discernible things in your life. Discernible. You're going to hear that word a lot in the series because it's what you can distinguish. It's what you can tell. It's not totally subjective. And the difficulty is sometimes it feels a little subjective because we don't just have glowing halos over our head that everyone can see. As soon as you come up out of the baptismal waters, as soon as you say the prayer, you know, of confession 
for the first time, uh, this just marker is over your head. Like some of you are gamers and you see the waypoints over the people that are on your team. Like that would be cool, right? I just look around and all the little green arrows over pe- floating over people's heads, those are the people that are in. There's no work. There's no discernment. There's the sign. Uh, but sadly, it does take a little bit of work. It makes me think of when you go to the a fruit market or the grocery store, um, and especially those of you who maybe your spouse is the one that usually does this, but it falls on you this week, and you've got to go get some fruit. And you see everybody else shaking the fruit, smelling the fruit, checking the rings, the firmness test, and dodging some fruit and putting others in, and, and then you're just kind of like, how, how do I do that? Because I'll be the guy that brings home stuff that's not ripe yet, was ripe a month ago, right? And the difficulty with fruit testing is the subjectivity of it. What are some of those tests? How firm it is? Well, how firm is firm? Well, check how firm it is. I can press it, but there's not a, I don't have a meter attached to it that gives me a readout. Correct firmness reached, right? It, you just, it's by feel and by experience, isn't it? Like, give me a watermelon that has a nice yellow spot. What is nice? And how yellow is yellow? How big is the spot? Like, are there inches we could use, right? It's, well, experience, right? And even though it's subjective, there's a range of firmness. There's a range of color. Some people say it should be heavy for its size. What's the regular size? Wait, how do I discern the ratio? I, I don't. They're, they're sitting there going, hmm. It's subjective. But just because it's subjective doesn't mean you can't tell. See? And so with Christianity, is it easy to tell who's a Christian and what a Christian looks like? Who's really growing in Christ? Is that is that? Just easy, as easy as seeing a waypoint over somebody said, no, it's not that easy. But does it mean it's not discernible? It doesn't mean that. It is discernible through experience and through what Scripture gives us as guidelines. We can see, yes, I am bearing fruit in my life. This is the fruit of Christ in my life. And to help you orient you to that idea, I want to take you to, I think, a familiar passage to many of you, and that's John 15. John chapter 15 is a wonderful passage that we really don't get in the other Gospels. John's kind of his own dude, and he's writing, this is after Judas has made his exit, so Jesus is with the 11 remaining, the 11 that are true, the 11 that are actually in, and not the pretender. Or not the person that was sort of along for the ride, but not really in. That was Judas. He's gone. Now Jesus, at the end of verse 14, says, hey, let's, let's get up and get out of here. And as they start walking, perhaps they pass by a vine, a vineyard. And Jesus uses that to point them, you know what? I, I need you to know this because I'm about to die, and I don't want you all to go the way of Judas. I want you to stay in and be in for real. And so he's going to use this vine and fruit illustration to help them understand that Christians bear fruit. If you abide in Christ, there should be discernible fruit. If you live in Christ, you belong to him, you're a Christian, you're a believer, 
then your life bears discernible fruit, fruit that you can tell. You can press it, shake it, weigh it, check the color. You can see that it's fruit that derives from living in Christ. And so we're going to look at verses 1 through 17 to see that. But here's, here's one clarification I want you to understand right off the bat. Because this, this confuses many of us. As soon as we start talking about what a Christian looks like, do you do this? Do you do that? Do you not do this? And not do that? The do's and don'ts of Scripture, we start feeling like uh, an allergy is breaking out. A theological allergy that we should have to works salvation. Salvation by works, right? For, for centuries, Protestants, what is a Protestant? We protest something. What do Protestants protest? That we bring anything to the table at all. That we bear fruit to get salvation. That we have to do something, participate in order to be saved. That's salvation by works, right? And we say, well, that's not what Scripture actually teaches. And I agree. I don't want anybody to be talking over lunch about how pastors, I don't know, he's kind of going into a lane where we're, it's salvation by works. No, I am not. What I want to make clear to you is what this passage te- teaches us, as many passages do, is not salvation by works, but works by salvation. Works by salvation. If you think grace alone, by faith alone, in Christ alone, for the glory of God alone, means that you get saved by faith and then works don't matter, you've completely missed the Reformation. But if you understand that when you're saved by faith alone, then that faith does not remain alone. Then you understand that true faith produces something. And you can discern it. We don't tell people, hey, you're not a Christian because you haven't performed enough. But you can say, I'm not sure you're a Christian because I don't see any fruit in your life. That's not you have to earn it. That means Christ earned it for you. And if you really are folded into Christ, then it shows up in your life through fruit that other people can actually see. So the first thing we're going to see in this passage is that this is not salvation by works, but it is works by salvation. Fruit is produced in the life of somebody who abides in Christ. It's all over this passage, and we're going to read it straight through, and I want you to see how many times that pops up, verses 1 through 17. Jesus speaking to his 11. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear fruit more fruit. See? You don't bear fruit and then you're in the vine. You're in the vine so that you bear fruit. Verse 3, already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. He's not telling me, go get clean. I made you clean, so now go bear fruit. There it is again. Already you were clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Verse 4, abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself. Unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. There it is again. How do you get in the vine? Well, that's by grace. 
How do you produce fruit? Not outside the vine. So it's by grace is the entrance. And once you're in, then the fruit. I am the vine, verse 5. You are the branches. Don't get that reversed. I'm the source, and I produce the product through you. It doesn't go the other way. Whoever abides in me, and I abiding in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So, what do we tell people? Go, I want to go to church, I want to follow Christ, but I need to fix my life first. You got it reversed. He's the vine. You're a branch. Now, what can a branch produce outside of the vine? Nothing. So does it make sense for a branch to go, hey, I'm going to produce fruit, and then I'll join the vine? No. What can you do apart from being in Christ? Zero. That's why we say faith alone, faith in Christ alone. We can do nothing apart from Christ. But if we're in Christ, a little bit of fruit, he says, much fruit. Verse, five, uh, verse 6, if anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. Now, why would a vine dresser lop off branches? Because he doesn't want branches that don't bear fruit drawing water from the other branches that are bearing fruit. And so he cuts them off. They're useless. So people who say they're a vine, people who act like they're a vine, people who show up to the vine gatherings, but they don't bear fruit, need to be told or warned there's fire ahead. But for those who are, they need to be encouraged that in Christ, you couldn't before. I know you couldn't before, but in Christ, you can. You can. Jesus promises we'll bear much fruit. Verse 7, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. There's part of the fruit bearing, this effective prayer life. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. So all those verses talking about God's action, the Father's action, this abiding scenario that has to precede what we do. But if that's actually there, we're going to have this effective prayer life, We're going to have this fullness of joy in verse 11. There's these effects, right? It shows up in your life if it's true. And he says, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. So which one happened first? God loves us first by bringing us into the vine of Christ. Then what's the result? We love one another. Fruit that comes from the abiding, not the other way around. Works that are produced by salvation, not salvation that's produced by works. Verse 13, greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. You're like, well, how has he loved me? By creating trees, I love trees. By creating animals, I love looking at animals. The main demonstration of God's love is the cross. And so Christ points to that in verse 13. Of course, they're literally walking toward it right now. 
No one has a greater love than someone laying down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. He's not saying we don't serve Christ. He's just saying there is a difference between the kind of master that just tells servants what to do. And if the servants are like, well, what about this tomorrow? And what about this over here? Shut up, servant. Don't tell me how to run my property. Jesus says this is different. This is like we're sitting at a table and we're talking, we're friends, and you're, you're abiding in me and I'm abiding in you, and you're asking me for things and I'm giving them to you. And so I call you friends. But friends look like something. Now, it'd be awkward if I told somebody, you don't want to know if you're my friend? Huh? You want to know if you're my friend? Do what I tell you to do. You'd be like, that's not a friend. But Jesus has this sort of mixed metaphor where he's like, if you're really my friends, you'll do what I command you. Well, it's because he's Jesus, <laughs> not Lucas. And so friendship looks like something. It looks like obedience. He says, no longer do I call you servants because there's not a knowledge, there's not an understanding of what the master is doing. I've invited you in so that all that I've heard from my father, I've made known to you. Verse 16, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit. And that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. There's that effective prayer life again. These things I command you so that you will love one another. So it looks like effective prayer. It looks like loving each other. It looks like following his commands. But it happened because he chose us and appointed us. And he didn't just appoint us by giving us a ticket to heaven. And in the meantime, just make sure your retirement plan is good. Lie low stay out of trouble, and just bide your time until it's time for heaven. No, your life needs to look like something. And if it doesn't look a certain way, you're not in. But if you are in, it does look a certain way. Now, I do want to make this clear. I talk about this at membership classes especially. But we, don't, we aren't looking for perfect fruit. Because then everybody's out. If we're just like, that has a bruise, you would never come home with fruit. You'd be like, that one's shaped awkwardly. I don't know. That one has too many bumps. I sense the soft spot. The firm test was here, but it passed it here. But when I turn over there, it's not as firm. It feels uneven. You'll just be there forever and come home with an empty bag, wouldn't you? The perfect watermelon, the perfect pear, the perfect avocado, forget it. Forget it, right? These tough-to-discern types of produce no jesus isn't saying perfection but i think what scripture is pointing to is two other p's not perfection but pursuit and progress pursuit and progress if that's not there i think that's a sign of trouble if that is there that should be a sign of encouragement i may not be perfect but am i better than yesterday am i producing more fruit than i was a year ago Or did I just get excited about Jesus and come in and just kind of play the part? No, you can talk to your spouse. You can talk to your kids. You can talk to your friends and just ask them, are you seeing improvements in my life? And if you are, that is Jesus bearing fruit through you. Because as you see with these disciples, they're not perfect. 
But you do see them grow, don't you, from the end of uh, the Gospels into the book of Acts. They're different, and God does things with them. And even after that, Peter has to get rebuked by Paul, doesn't he? I mean, they're not perfect people. Paul doesn't get along with everybody. Like, I'm not taking this dude on the next missionary journey, man. No, he, you bring him. I'm not going with him. Well, he's coming with me. Well, then I'm not going with you. Does that sound like a perfect apostles? I mean, they're hashing it out as human beings. So no, not perfect. But, but we can't be like, well, there's nothing perfect, so I guess I'll just be a rotten fruit. But no, <laughs> imperfect fruit doesn't mean it's inedible. There, there needs to be some quality there that is discernible, even though it's not perfect. So we're looking for pursuit and progress in the Christian life, not perfection, but still pursuit and progress. But the main thing to understand is that it's pursuit after you've been joined to the vine. It's progress as someone who has been attached to the vine. And attaching to the vine is not attending church. It's coming to Christ and confessing, hey, I, I, I deserve death. I deserve the penalty of eternal estrangement from God, but, but God in his love has provided a way for me to be at peace with God instead of at enmity with God. So I place my faith in Jesus Christ, and Jesus Christ doesn't just wave a wand to go, you are in, you will make it to heaven. This is not, Christians, we're not focused on heaven. Heaven is not our focus. Christ is our focus. When you hear somebody like, I don't know, I'm not excited about heaven because it just sounds boring. Does that sound like a Christian to you? Christ is there. And if your idea of salvation is a mansion that's better than my house, a permanent vacation in the sky, that sounds really nice. Salvation is a retirement plan. You're probably not in. But if you see it as an eternal relationship with this one who rescued you when you didn't deserve it, who pulled you out, when you were drowning, and you want to be with the Savior, you want to worship the Savior, you want to go where He tells you to go, be who He wants you to be, then it excites you. Because you abide in this vine, and He abides in you, and He's producing things through you. It's salvation that produces works. So as I've often said, works won't get you to Christ, but Christ will get you to work. What does that look like? Well, we see a couple things here. We see a couple hints that this is a discernible thing. You can tell. You can see it. It's not always perfect. It's not, you know, somebody says they're saved on Sunday, and then you check out what they did on Monday, and you can tell if they're a Christian or not. It's not, it's not like that. But over time, when you look at patterns in your life, you should be able to discern fruit. It's discernible. Look at verse 2. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so it can bear more fruit. So not only can you discern between zero fruit and some fruit, you can discern between some fruit and a lot more fruit. You see it? One person doesn't produce fruit at all. God's like, you're not in. Another person does produce fruit, and he's like, good job. I'm going to work in you, develop you, and take you to the next level so that you produce more fruit tomorrow than you did today. So you can discern between no fruit and some fruit, and you can discern between some fruit and more fruit. And so there's progress, there's growth, 
If you look at verses 5 through 6, you see it again. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I am him, he it is that bears much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. That means that apart from Christ, your life looked a certain way because you were unable to do things. And now that you're in Christ, you're able to do things that you couldn't before. That should be somewhat discernible. Somebody should be able to point out, that's not the Lucas I knew. You were, you were, you were this way before, and now you're like this. And then your, your response should be, I know, I couldn't be different before but I abide in Christ now, and Christ through the Holy Spirit abides in me. I know this sounds super spiritual to you, but that's the truth. I didn't just read a book. I didn't just go on a hike and have some mountaintop experience and it changed my life. Like this is, this is something more real than that. And then especially verse 8, check it out. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. Now, I'm thankful, I hope you are too, that he doesn't say, this is how the, my, this is how the Father is glorified, the Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and then become a disciple because you've borne so much fruit. Because then I'd never be a disciple. But it's the opposite. How do you prove that you are a disciple already? You bear fruit that shows it. And so how do we show what is discernible? How was how somebody's discipleship, how was somebody being in the vine shown? How was it proven? Well, it's through love, verse 9. The Father loved us. Christ loved us, we abide in that love, and as we abide in that love, we obey his commandments. We have joy, verse 11, that is full. But you see that verse 10 shows us again, there is something discernible, so that if we say we abide in his love, our lives should show and prove that we do. And what does that look like? It's pretty simple. Obey what he says to do. Right? I mean, at some point, it's that simple. The Bible tells us do's and don'ts. Somebody says they abide in the vine. These are Jesus' do's and don'ts. What did Jesus say about all the Old Testament do's and don'ts? I cancel them. I fulfill them. You better weigh them. Not a jot and iota gets passed away, it all counts. It all says something about God, and it doesn't necessarily count the same way, right? We were going through Leviticus, and they're like, here are the kind of bugs you're allowed to eat, and here are the kind of bugs you're, you're not allowed to eat. We're like, I don't, I don't keep bugs in my pantry. I'm not, I'm not sure how that applies. But the point is, it's communicating something. If you remember back when we were in that series, Walking through it, God was communicating to them that you're to be separate from the world. Don't just live the way they live. You're different than everybody else. You're a covenant people, and that looks like something. And so all of Scripture is God's truth. And Jesus is saying, if you are in the vine, you care about what God says. You care about it, and you live into it. And so even though we don't 
discern fruit perfectly, we are able to discern fruit. We are able to prove it and show that we're, that we're in. I remember uh, James chapter 2, uh, verse 18, I think it is, where James tells his reader, uh, he, he's really going after readers who's like, I have faith, but I don't have to show it. And he's like, no, I'll show you my faith by my works. Remember that? Luther didn't like that one. He's like, I don't know. <laughs> Luther wanted to cancel James. Because he was about grace, and then James is like, hey, works. And Luther's like, ah, uh, I hate this guy. Well, it's not that I'm smarter than Luther. I have a lot of time on him reading other commentators, and we've, we've built on the Reformation. And, I mean, honestly, he said a lot of other stuff that's super whack anyway. So, I mean, he, he, he said some truthful things. He was confused on other things. One of the things he was confused about was how James fits into the rest of the Bible. It's not hard. James doesn't say, I will earn my faith by my works. I will show my already faith by my works. James is channeling John 15. I'm proving to you that I'm in the vine. I'm not earning my way in the vine. But James is just kind of sick and tired. I, I love the book of James. He's, he's like a football coach, you know, if you read it. And, and he's kind of sick and tired of the Christians that they claim Christ, and they think because they say Christian things, they cleaned up their cuss words that, you know. And he's saying, no, no, you have to grow in Christ. You can't, you can't leave your life unchanged in meaningful ways and just claim faith. Faith looks like something. It shows up in your life. And you grow in it. You bear more fruit later than you did in the beginning. If you flip back just to John 13, uh, where we are now, but just flip back John 13, 35, there's a famous passage where he tells his disciples how people are going to be able to tell that they're disciples. Verse 35, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples. Isn't that interesting? Not just how other Christians would be able to tell, how anybody would be able to tell that you're actually a disciple if you love one another. You have love for one another. Now, side note, he doesn't say how you love them. Here's how all the people will know that you are actually a Christian, how well you love them. Interestingly, he says, here's how all people will tell that you're a Christian, how you love each other. Because they walk up in church and we don't treat each other right. They're going to be like, they don't treat each other right. (laughs) And so this is the test case, isn't it? How we handle disagreements here. How we handle each other's idiosyncrasies, shall we say. (laughs) We're patient with one another. Welcome one another, even though we're different from each other in many ways. Well, that's discernible. We, we live in front of a watching world, and love is discernible. Love shows up in a way that the, even the world can say, ah, other Christians can go, oh, I, I see that. That must be a disciple of Christ. That's the only explanation. The only explanation of a love like that is that they belong to Christ. That's pretty radical. But it's also encouraging because if we have something discernible, We can know that we're growing. He says, it looks like an effective prayer life. I'll cover these real quickly because I already mentioned them. In verse 7 and verse 16, he says it looks like effective 
prayer. If you abide in me, verse 7, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Sometimes people think, well, oh, goodness, I want a car. Um, I want a good-looking spouse. I want a better job. And somebody that's thinking along those lines, do they really cherish Christ or are they using Christ as a way to get something else that they want? But if somebody really abides in Christ and cherishes his friendship, that this master is a master and commands me to do things, I love him by fulfilling the commands. That person asks for things in line with those commands, which has very little to do with the model of car you want. It has everything to do with discerning what God says. Do I care about what he says? And then I want to do it because I love him, because I love him. That's what it looks like. It looks like obedience in verses 9 and 10, for example, where he says, Fathers love me, I've loved you, abide in my love, and if you keep my commandments, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. That's how your joy is going to be full. Some of us think, oh, following his commandments, reading the Bible. Every time I read the Bible, I find out something else I'm supposed to do. Ugh. It shouldn't be ugh. It should be yes. That's what he loves. That's what he loves. I'm going to go do that because I love him. That, that, that's different than sort of this slavish taskmaster that just keeps pummeling you into the ground. We saw that in Romans. We've escaped that. That doesn't mean we don't care about the law. Now we see the law as, a, as an insight into who God is, what he cares about. And we live into it because of this relationship with our Savior friend, Jesus Christ. Finally, there are so many different ways to discern uh, love. It looks like following commandments, doing the things he tells us to do, not doing the things that he tells us not to do. It looks like that. But a lot of that is uh, attitudes, and some of that are actions, right? All right, covetousness is an attitude, isn't it? I mean, how do you? I mean, I, covetousness can show up in actions, but covetousness itself is not an action. It produces other actions, but it's a heart posture, right? And so is love. Love is a heart posture. But how is it discernible? It's discernible through actions, right? through certain kinds of actions. And so some of you, I think, if you've been around Christian communities long enough, have you ever met a really smiley, nice person, super nice, but when you really get to know them, they're kind of a jerk? And then somebody else is kind of grumpy, doesn't like to smile a lot, and that's the person who shows up to help you? See, we we have this surface-level view of what is love and what isn't love, but love shows up. Love shows up. It's not always showing up with a smile, clicking heels, singing a song. That's just a person with a bubbly personality. And those people are great. (laughs) But it's not the same as love. Love shows up in some real meaningful ways. We're going to focus in this series on five key actions. And I'm going to tell you right now how I came up with them. I mean, I don't feel like I came up with them. I didn't just like, you know what would be a good one? Here's how I, I went about it, okay? I asked a few questions, all right? One of those questions I asked 
was what does Scripture make really clear? What does Scripture make really clear? Some things aren't as clear as other things. This afternoon, this evening, you might want to take your family to go see a movie. And then you think, let me invite somebody from church to go watch this movie. Oh, wait, do they watch the same kind of movies I watch? What is it rated? Is it R? What's it rated R for? People have different standards, right? Do we have a Bible verse that tells us which movies to watch, which ones no? No, we don't. Not really. We do have information that helps us discern that. Don't get me wrong. But we kind of land in different places there. But that's a different category than, let's say, I want to pray, and I want to invite a brother or, or two to come pray with me. And if they're like, nah, I don't pray, isn't that immediately a different category? Why? Clarity of Scripture. Scripture has very little to say about what MPAA rating movies are appropriate and a lot to say about the importance of prayer. That's why it's different. So the first question I ask is, what does Scripture make clear? Because I'm not going to tell the church, hey, you guys, we need to be doing this. If I can't point to multiple verses that make it clear, I mean, I don't know what translation you're reading. It says pray, 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 right? But I'm not going to do that with, I can't believe you watched that movie last night. It's not the one I would watch. I will talk to you about that, but not on the same level as some of these other things. So when I think of these sort of top five, movie watching isn't, didn't make the top five. That doesn't mean I don't care about it. These aren't the only five things that Scripture has anything to say about. In fact, one of the reasons why I'm so excited about Proverbs is how practical Proverbs is. Right? Proverbs is real life, man. How are you supposed to behave at work? What kind of friends should you keep? What kind of person should you date? Proverbs is great for practical stuff, and we're going to get into all that. But when we're talking about discernible actions where, you, where you're pressing the firmness of someone's Christianity... You can tell, like, yeah, I think that's, that's Christ's fruit right there. It needs to be clear in Scripture. It also needs to be something that Scripture emphasizes. So it's not one clear verse, one time in an obscure corner of... We do this as Christians, don't we? You know, how many verses mention the millennium? Are you pre-millennial? Are you amillennial? You know how many verses mention it? One verse... And of all the books of the Bible, some are really clear, some are like Ezekiel-level weird. Different kinds of genres. That one pass about the millennium, it's in Revelation. In a vision. With lots of symbols. Like, it's hard. And we have conferences on it. Church is splitting on it. Listen, I want to focus on what is clear and emphasize here and there, Old Testament, New Testament. It's emphasized and it's clear so that we can all agree. And that's the third question I ask. What have churches agreed upon like forever? Like whatever denomination you're from, whatever year you live in, these are things that the Bible has been so clear about from the beginning that Christians don't really debate these things. And so those five things... Uh, I put into an acronym, and I'll, I'll close with this, because this is, these are going to be uh, next week. Uh, our brother Ben is going to bring the word from a different passage. And then the week after that, I'll start us off on these five. But the acronym is SHARP, S-H-A-R-P, S-H-A-R-P. The first one is study scripture. 
Study scripture. It doesn't matter your, your educational background, how nerdy you are. You might not know the Greek or Hebrew. That's fine. But for somebody to be like, oh, I'm a Christian. Well, when's the last time you read the word? I think I read the Bible at Awana one time. I was about eight years old. That, that's red alert, man. That, it's so pervasive throughout scripture. It is the number, it's like the number one test when you're squeezing the fruit. And so if we're all dried up with regard to our time in God's word, how many times did Jesus say, or you abide in me, you follow my commandments? Well, what are the commandments? I don't know. I never read them. That's why it's upper tier. H is huddle. Uh, I think we have this verse up for you. We'll just do it really quickly. And this is a very uh, popular passage, Hebrews 10. Check this out just real quick. I'm not going to preach a whole other sermon on this although I want to. But look, let us hold fast the confession. What is the confession? Something you know, something you study, something that Scripture is clear about. The confession of our hope without wavering for he who promises faithful. Verse 24, let us consider how to stir one another to love and good works. Not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. How do we encourage one another? Getting together. And so H is huddle, because when we are uh, living lives that are sort of n- missing that key element of getting together with other people, not just the one verse, but throughout Scripture is what I want to do in that sermon, is show you that, this, that there's a scriptural theme of the assembly, the gathering, the congregation from the beginning that requires community to bear fruit for Christ. One of those pieces of fruit is communal love. Love one another. Well, if I keep the one another's out of my life, how do I do that? S-H-A is assist. How many times does Paul talk about spiritual gifts? Everyone has one, and you have one in order to serve with it. So if we're not doing that, and Scripture's clear on it, that's an issue. R is relaying the gospel. How often does Scripture emphasize how we should be communicating to others about Christ? I say I follow Christ, but I don't talk to anybody about him. That's an incongruency that's problematic. But it is something we can grow in. We can grow in that. I think probably of the five, maybe that's some of us, we're most skeptical about that one. I'm I'm not an evangelist. Yes, you are. If you're in Christ, you are. And God will use Scripture to bear more fruit in your life. And then finally, P, which is fitting for it to be the last one, is prayer. It's prayer. Like I said, it's, it's so emphasized throughout Scripture. It's, it's a difficult one for many of us. Uh, and there's some different reasons that we can address with that. But it's prayer. So there are other things. Should Christians give? Yes. Should Christians do this and that? Yeah, there's a bunch of don'ts. No, I'm focusing on do's. I'm focusing on positives, things that you should be doing and we should be getting better at over time. If you meet somebody, they just became a Christian, they're like, what should I be doing? What should it show up? I want sharp to come to your head. Well, do you read the Bible? Do you go to church? I meet people all the time. I follow Christ, but I don't go to church. I gave up, you know, organized religion. Well, then you gave up the one who organized it. It's Jesus' church. They're his people. So we're brought into communion with them, with one another. So we're going to look at those five to focus on the ways in which we should be growing. But here's the point I want you to remember today. That when we abide in Christ, 
when we abide in Christ, we bear discernible fruit. And I don't want this series to be a witch hunt. Who should not be here? Who's not in? Who's not in? Although I think that's going to be an effect of it. But the, the emphasis is, hey, you're in. Don't be paranoid about it. Let's grow. And let's grow together. And maybe of those five things, one of those is a real weak spot right now. Let's, let's grease that wheel. And let's grow in those areas because Christ commanded us to. And he doesn't command us to do something that he won't give us the power to do. How does he give us power? He's the vine. And so the branch draws from the vine to produce any of its fruit. And so he will do it. And I think that's why he wedged in there twice the promise for prayer. Not cars and careers. But when I recognize I'm unable I don't feel like meeting people. I don't feel like gathering with people. I don't feel like confessing to somebody else. I'm already struggling with it, and I've got to confess it to somebody else because James commanded it. I need help seeing joy in that. And it seems impossible. And Jesus says, but if you ask it in my name, I will do it. I will do it. And so we come before God, and we're like, hey, we don't live into this profile perfectly, and we're in many ways, some bruised, damaged fruit. We want to grow. We want to ripen. We want to advance your kingdom in this world the way you told us to. Help us, and he will. Let's pray. Father, we're thankful for your promise that through Jesus Christ, you don't only give us what we need to be in the vine, but you continue to give us what we need to produce from the vine. And as we think about bearing fruit in our lives, we don't want to become a legalistic community where we come to church with a bunch of rulers measuring everybody else except ourselves. Uh, But we also don't want to use that as an excuse to not ever measure. And we want to think about ourselves and examine ourselves and, and ask whether we should be producing more fruit or whether we're producing fruit at all. And maybe some of us are, are missing some key components If that's because we really don't know you, Father, I pray that we would see folks come to Christ through this series. Um, That they would recognize that it's not about just kind of saying a prayer or maybe just showing up to a service, but it's deeper than that. There's this abiding issue. And Father, we pray that we would see some conversions, some baptisms as a result but, Father, as, as we press into this, Lord, as the rest of us who are believers, we want to grow, we want to mature, we don't want to stay on milk, we want to grow up and eat some steak, and we want to feed on it. And as our bodies are nourished by those calories, we get out there and put it to work. And so as you feed us and nourish us from the vine, we want to produce much fruit, not to earn our way to heaven or salvation, but to show it to the world that we have been changed. We're a forgiven people And that apart from Christ, when we couldn't do nothing, now in Christ, we can bear much fruit that is discernible, showable, uh, noticeable. God, as we close in the song, would you work that truth down deep into our hearts and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Would you stand the word?